speaks well to the sermon today. As we were going through the book of Nehemiah, I was searching this week. Lord, show me what it means to face the opposition of the evil one. Lord, show me. I read the scriptures and I went through it and I, I had to change it a couple times because God wouldn't let me rest on the passages that I had chosen. So I had to shrink it down a little bit. We are in Nehemiah chapter 4. We're talking about the journey home, the people who've been away in the wilderness, the people who've been in captivity, finding their way home. This is part five of that series. And notice this title, Success Brings Opposition. We all think that when we become more successful, that life gets easier. That the more money or the more successful in our career, the easier things get. That's not how it works. Church, sometimes the more successful you become, the more of a threat you become to the evil one and the more of a bead or target he's going to place on you. That young man I talked to yesterday, his greatest worry was where to get food. You know, most of us don't have to worry about that. Some of us should worry about pushing the table away. But the whole thing is this. On that journey home, when we are successful, when the Jews were returning to Jerusalem and they were becoming successful and they were rebuilding that's when the enemy redoubles. Take a look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It's where we're going to start today. Nehemiah 4, 1 through 3. The enemy loves a broken spirit. Now, I want all of us to look at this today. The enemy enjoys when we are broken. Because when we are broken, we all have a great big PMS trip. Ladies, did you know your husbands all suffer from PMS? Poor me syndrome. Oh, poor me, I have to work 60 hours a week. It should be, praise God, I got a job at least. Because a lot of brothers out there don't got one. Sometimes, we, oh, I got to pay all these bills and I got to do all this. Yeah, well, praise God, you've got the ability to do it. You know, praise God, I've got three beautiful children. Or in my case, I got one extremely perfect child. Not that I want to ruin her right now, but there she goes. Take a look at the, what it says in the Word of God. When Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men and said, What are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up on what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. Now may God bless our understanding of this. What is happening? The people have committed themselves to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to put up those burned gates. We looked at this last week. And they are doing well. They are going at the task with a passion and a zeal. Now that means all the enemies, all those who have tried to control them, are becoming nervous. Because the more secure the wall, the better the gates, the less power and control someone has over you. You talked about being angry, and being angry for years. I've known people sitting in churches, not this one, but on the West Coast, I've known people who have hated their church for 35 years. Now can you imagine such a ridiculous thing as being angry with your church for 30 years? five years. And I say, why are you angry? Well, they said, no one listens to me. No one takes my opinion. I said, did it ever occur to you the reason they don't listen to you is because you're always screaming at them? This guy was a former army uh, 
sergeant, top sergeant. And in the military, he used to order men to do things. And when he ordered, men did things. If you've been in the military, you know what I'm talking about. When the sergeant barks, the privates scatter. Okay, this guy came into the church thinking, oh, I was a, I was a sergeant. I was somebody. People will listen to me. No. Honey, people won't listen to you until they know two things. One, that you love them. And two, that what you're doing is right. And that's the thing that's most important here. These guys, Sambalot and the others, they were upset. Look at this. It says, what are these pathetic Jews doing? This word pathetic is really interesting. When you think of pathetic, what do you mean? What do you think of? What's pathetic? Maybe the homeless person living on the street is pathetic. Maybe the person who is working in an office job that they hate and they're in a little cubicle nine hours a day and they're stamping papers and that's their whole life. Maybe you think that's pathetic. This word is different. This word describes a lot of people in church in America today. It is the word, uh, it's, sorry, there we go, unenthusiastic. It is the word feeble or apathetic. Do you know what an apathetic person is? An apathetic person is one who no longer cares, one who no longer gets excited about anything. You ever known apathetic people? They don't get really happy. And they don't get really sad. Every day is kind of the same. You know, some people are bright yellow and some people are burnt red and the rest are just kind of gray. Gray is not a great color, unless it's in your hair, which case I have a lot of that, so I'm kind of fond of that color these days. But here's the thing. He said these Jews are apathetic. They don't care. They're not really putting any passion into what they're doing. How do they think they're going to do anything? It goes on. It says, can they restore this wall by themselves? What key thing did they forget? No work of God is done by men, amen? Anything you do for the sake of the Lord, the Lord is doing. He has simply given you the grace to be involved in it. Henry Blackaby once said, don't start a project and ask God to bless it. What did he say to do? Y'all know this, right? He says, find out what God is doing and be part of it. Be part of what God is already doing because God has a plan. God's been working the plan since the first day of creation. The smartest thing we can do is find out what the Lord's doing and be part of it. I told you, when I went past that kid, when I went past Joseph, I had bought that kid a sub and got him a drink, and we had talked for 15, 20 minutes in the line. I thought I had done my duty, but the Lord said, hold on, son, you ain't going nowhere. Your job's not done yet until you present the entire gospel to this young man. Now, that floor was cold, and I was in my, I was in my little short pants, and it was not pleasant to sit on the ground for an hour talking to a kid and thinking, okay, does this guy understand what I'm talking about? But you know what? God confirmed it in me because I saw in that kid's eyes, he got it. He got it. You might have looked at that kid sitting by that trash can, eating that sub and gone, well, how pathetic is that? It wasn't pathetic. He was just blind. He just didn't understand how blind he was until God sent me to turn the lights on. But did I do anything? No. I gave the kid some food and a track and I explained Jesus. Who's going to do the work of redeeming his life? The Lord. Nothing I can do can bring a person to salvation. Nothing you can do can bring a person to salvation. All you can do is plant the seed and water just like Paul and Apollos. It's the Holy Spirit that reaps the harvest. So they said, can they restore this wall by themselves? They forgot their God was involved in the restoration of the city. Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? See, that's the thing that people use to break you down. That's that first attack. That's that broken spirit. 
I've started this, but I can't finish it. I don't have enough strength. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough money. We don't have, we don't have, we don't have. We've got God. We can do anything he sets before us to do. Amen? Nothing that happens can defeat the work of God. This church began with how many people? A couple? A few? And look where it is today. Look at the influence it has right now. GGCF's influence is spreading. The church doesn't have to grow for us to do the work of the kingdom. The work of the kingdom is bringing people to Jesus and then discipling them to be disciplers. I don't care if the church ever grows beyond this number right here. I think y'all are a good-looking group, so we'll keep it right here. But if we are affecting the world, if our kids are going out as missionaries, if our young people are being trained up as pastors and worship leaders, then we're doing our job, amen? Well, amen, are we doing our job if we're training them to be servants of God? That's what this is about. Will they restore it by themselves? Here's the interesting thing. Zechariah 6, 4 says this. So he answered them, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Remember, Zerubbabel led the first return to Jerusalem about 90-some years before this. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by strength nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That means the commander of the armies of heaven. What is it that you need done in your life that you can't do? Well, then you turn to the one who has an army behind him to get that job done. If that job is leading people to salvation, if that job is finding the calling for your life, if that job is pursuing a wholeness in your family, it can only be accomplished by the Lord of hosts. Any pastor who stands in a pulpit knows one thing. No pastor is capable of doing anything apart from the Spirit of God. If you come into church today and you get something, don't thank me, thank the Lord, because he's the one that turned the lights on. I'm just the mouthpiece blasting it out for you guys. He says this at the bottom. I think this is so funny. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him. See, whenever one person is bold enough to insult God, he will inspire the cowards around him to also insult God. He says even if a fox leaps up on this this wall they're building, it's going to fall down, making a joke of it. I think that's interesting. You know why he says that? Because up here the word rubble, mounds of rubble, these burnt stones, that literally means dust and ashes. They're trying to build a wall out of dust and ashes. Sometimes they see the church is trying to build a kingdom out of broken people. But that's what God builds his kingdom out of. That's what we were before Jesus. The little track I shared yesterday with Joseph, the last page shows the demon with a rope going down to the bottom of the page, and the rope is a noose around your neck, and it's leading you into hell. That's what the whole track's about. It's called Set Free. And until you figure out that Satan is leading you down the primrose path to destruction, you're not going to do anything about it. But once you know you're a captive, you're going to cry out for someone to cut the rope. And the only one that can do that is who? Jesus. That's right. That's what we need to do. Now, interesting note. One of the guys I was reading said, it should be noted this. Foxes are not heavy. They are not powerful. Therefore, their attacks are often by stealth. Foxes sneak in, steal, and sneak out. That is how you will be attacked, church. Satan will sneak in. He's not going to come right up against you. He's not going to attack your faith in Jesus. He's going to sneak in that back door, that burned down gate, and he's going to get into your life, and he's going to feed lies to you. Lies about, well, this is how they did it then, so this is how we should do it. The thing that's important is this. Always be aware of what's happening. Beware of your thoughts. Beware of what you're thinking to make sure you're not listening to the naysayers and the negative people. 
Because you know what? Forgiveness is so key to your life. I figured out a long time ago, I'm not going to live long enough to get even with all the people I didn't like in high school. So I cut them loose. Isn't that a great thing? And you know, you know why that's important? Because if I don't have to carry that around, that's a heavy burden. If I don't got to carry it around, I am free to leap and have joy in the Lord and what the Lord's doing. So that's the important thing. Always watch out for the fox that sneaks in unseen and begins to weaken the wall of your faith, begins to pick little holes in what you believe. If what you believe comes straight out of the word of God, now here's the thing. If you ain't got the word of God, you should let me know. I'll get you a word of God. If you need a big, if you need a big print word of God, I guarantee I can get you that too. All right. Here's the thing. If you don't have the word in front of you day and night, you're not understanding what Satan's trying to do. Because Satan always attacks what the word says so that you're weakened by relying on what you yourself think. Keep going. Now, the enemy loves a broken spirit. He loves it when we fall apart. He loves it when we become negative. He loves it when we think we can't do it. And you know what? If you think you can't do it, you're right. You can't do it. But Christ in you can do anything. I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. Nehemiah 4, 4 and 5 says this. God is the one who will strengthen his people. God is the one who will strengthen his people. Verse 4 says this. Listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have provoked the builders. This last line for me is very interesting because there's a few words missing in this. Not words missing from the text. The text is exactly what the Hebrew Bible says, but the meaning is a little different. Let me, let me get down to that point. First, he says this, make their insults return on their own head. Remember what the New Testament says? Someone comes against you and says something about your Christian life or says something about the way you live your life. What does it say to do? Does it say to bless them right back and cuss and swear at them? No. It says pray for them, bless them, that it may dump hot coals on their heads. That's the greatest way to get revenge. Pray for somebody. Pray for someone that you don't like. You know why? You can't pray for somebody and not like them. In the midst of praying for them, you will like them. That's why I said prayer does not change God. God does not alter his plan based on your prayers. You can't pray, Jesus, put a passionate love for me in the heart of that girl in my class at school. Don't do that. He's already got a world picked out for you. He's got someone for you already. Don't, don't rush the gun, son. Wait for it. Because God doesn't do that. He doesn't change his plan based on your prayers. He changes you to be what he wants you to be so that you will have the happiest life possible. Prayer changes us. That's why we have to pray. We get here on Tuesday nights. Sometimes you might walk out here and go, what did we actually do tonight? What we did is we allowed God to change us just a little bit for God to alter our perspective and alter the way we see things. Because when we pray, it's not about a shopping list. Lord, I want this, 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 and this. No, it's Lord, be active in the lives of your people. Lord, that person has cancer. If it's your will, save them. Lord, that person is going through a hard time in their marriage. If it's your will, save them. That person over there, he's praying for wisdom, Lord, as to what to do. And Father God, you need to lead him. See, it's always according to the will of the Lord. He says, man, make their insults return on their own heads. Turn back to them all the things that they've said. He says, and let them be taken as plunder. I love this remark. One author said this. This was a prayer of, um, turn, oh, wait, 
This is a prayer that said, Lord, may my enemies find that their enemies do to them what they have done to us. That was it. He says, Lord, do to them what they did to us. They took us captive. They took us to a foreign land. May the same thing happen to them. Remember? Do unto others as you would have it done unto you. Interesting enough, the empire fell after this, but that's okay. That's a whole different story. Let them be taken to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt. Now, here's the thing. What did the Jews always pray throughout the Psalms? Throughout all the Psalms, what David prayed, what Solomon prayed, what was it? Oh, Lord, cover my iniquity. Cover my iniquity. When you went to the temple service every year, when the priests offered a sacrifice for your sin, sister, you know what they did? They put that blood on the altar, and it covered over your sin so that God could see it. But guess what? As soon as you sinned again, <laughs> God couldn't see that one, but he could see the next one. Here's the thing. The blood of an animal sacrifice only covered it over. It didn't erase it. The blood of Jesus on the cross, on Calvary, erased your sin. Consider this. When you were a young man, maybe you got into trouble. In fact, you got arrested when you were a young man. And what happened? They took you down to the police station. They took your picture this way and this way, and they gave you a criminal record. Here's the great thing. When you turned 18, they sealed that record, and nobody could ever look at it again. This is even better than that. This is taking your criminal record and destroying it, burning it up, making it removed. That's what the blood of Jesus does for us. But he's saying, Lord, don't do for them what you do for us. Don't forgive them the way you forgive us. Now, that's kind of a selfish prayer, but they were in hard times. They were in hard times. In fact, at the end, he says this, because they have provoked the builders. Now, the, the purpose of this statement right here, the purpose of the statement is, Lord, they have provoked you in the presence of the builders. That's actually the implication in the Hebrew language. It's, Lord, they have provoked you. They have made you angry. They've insulted you, but they've done it in the face of our builders so that we will lose hope in you. So, Lord, do all this to them because they are provoking you by saying all these things about your people. Brings up Psalm 51.4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is David, of course, after he's killed Uriah the Hittite, stolen Bathsheba as his wife. It says, he only against you have I done evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David knew that though he stole another man's wife, though he killed that man, who was the greatest sin against? God. The greatest sin was against God. Now, for, to, our perp, to our human minds, that doesn't make any sense. But shouldn't he be apologizing to, to Uriah? Didn't he sin against you? Yeah, he sinned against Uriah, but Uriah was dead. Didn't he sin against Bathsheba? By the way, all y'all who hate on Bathsheba, nowhere does it say she willingly went with the king. Did you ever realize that? It didn't say she fled to the king's arms. It says he took her. Think about it, church. Bathsheba is in the lineage of Jesus. Bless you. You realize that, don't you? She is one of those women who's in the lineage of Jesus. This is a Hittite woman, for crying out loud. That's as bad as, as the woman who was the prostitute in Jericho. Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus. And so is Esther. Not Esther. Um, Ruth, who's a Moabite woman. God can use anybody, anytime, anywhere. Against you, 
you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. The people said, Lord, you strengthen us. We will keep building with the strength of our hands, but Lord, you have to take care of my enemy. You have to attack the one who's attacking us because they're attacking you. When someone insults you for your faith in Jesus Christ, they are attacking God Almighty. And you know what I love to do? I love to remind them, oh, by the way, in calling me a fool, you're calling Jesus a fool. And in calling Jesus a fool, you're calling his father a fool. And brother, when it comes to you and me, you're the bigger fool because you're picking on God. I mean, you think about it. When someone insults the Christian faith, they are attacking God Almighty. Like they told me in school a long time ago. RJ, you share Jesus with somebody? And they say, no, that's ridiculous. Have they rejected you? No. They have rejected what you said, so who have they rejected? Jesus Christ. When someone rejects your message of the gospel, you should be afraid for them because they are rejecting life. They are rejecting the only hope that living man has in this world, and that is in the Savior. If they reject that, they have no hope. Hell is their destination, and only a reversal of that opinion can save them. So if someone insults you for being a believer, don't feel bad. Feel bad for them, because they're in bigger trouble than you are. That's the truth of it. Let's finish this up. All right, we're in Nehemiah 4, 6 through 13. So when all this happens, when, when the devil loves that broken spirit, and, and when we pray to God to take care of it, how do we respond to opposition in our lives? How do we respond to opposition in our lives? Take a look at Nehemiah 4, 6 through 13. So after all this is said, after they have prayed, so we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, half the original height. For the people had a will to keep working. When Sambalot, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repairs to the wall of Jerusalem were progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. This means insanely angry, so angry they were about to do something stupid. Now they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So we prayed to our God and we stationed a guard because of them day and night. In Judah, it was said the strength of the laborers fails since there is so much rubble. There's that dust and dirt again. We will never be able to rebuild the wall. Who was saying this? Were the, were the people in Jerusalem saying it? No, the people attacking them were saying it. Remember, they're going after the mind. They're weakening the will to work. They're weakening the will to serve God. When someone tells you that you can never be better than you are, that it's a lie from hell, you need to reject it in Jesus' name. Whenever someone tells you, this is what you are, it's all you're ever going to be, you tell them, you are a liar, and the word of God says you're a liar. I will be exactly what my God wants me to be because he's not done with me yet. Can I get an amen from somebody? Whatever you are today, whatever you're afraid of, whatever you despair of, you don't worry because God's not done with you yet. This is only how you are right now. You're going to look exactly like Jesus Christ in spirit and in relationship as soon as you get out of this world. So as I say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In Jude, it was said, the strength of the laborers fails since there is so much trouble, but we will we'll never be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they won't know or see anything until we are among them and can kill them and stop the work. 
When the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us time and again, Everywhere you turn, they attack us. So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. Now, for those of you who love the military, that last statement, that's an amazing statement about prayer. Because as you all know, a sword is only pulled in close combat. It's only pulled right up against somebody else because it doesn't go anywhere. Length of your arm, length of the sword, that's it. Ah, but then it goes to the spears. The spears reach out a little bit further. And then there's bows. Bows are those prayers that we send outside of our sphere of influence, out, way outside what we can do, because a bow was the most terrifying weapon of the ancient world, because it could reach out and touch somebody at 100 yards. And in those days, that was a long way away, amen? Today we talk about sniper prayers, prayers sent all the way around the world for those who are fighting in Afghanistan and Iraq, we pray for those on the other side of the world, for those suffering in China and Indonesia. Those, those, those are long-distance prayers, but they are heard by the Lord. Let's go back and take a look at this. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a will to keep working. Remember what the scripture says. It is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Without the Lord at work in your life, Paul, you can't even desire to serve him. You realize that? You say, but Lord, I have no passion. I am just so tired. I'm so, I'm so apathetic. I'm just, I'm beat down. You know how you get over that? Dear God, give me a desire to serve you. When you got saved, if you got saved, you had a desire to read the word of God, to know the Lord. You became passionate. When you first started dating your husband or your wife, you had a passionate desire to know that person. You spent hours on the phone. You wrote letters. You took them out to eat. You did all this stuff to get to know that person that you were with, right? Just shake your head. Make me feel better about life. Okay, good. That's how you do it. That's how it is when we got saved. We spent all this time to get to know Jesus. Then what happened is we thought, oh, I know him well enough, now I can put my attention back on everything else. No, it is God who works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. Our prayer every day, God, make me willing. Make me desire to do your work. I didn't want to talk to that kid yesterday. I had stuff to do. That ground was cold and dirty. You know, if I go home with dirty pants, my wife makes me take a shower again. I don't know what that's about, but there you go. Anyways, here's the thing. God grabbed a hold of my heart, and literally there was a pressure on me that would not allow me to go. That's how you know God's working on your church. When God grabs a hold of you and says, you're not going anywhere, my desire is for you to reach out to that person or that person, and I'm not going to let you go until you do it. If you are fighting the Lord, you'll know you're fighting the Lord because he will not let up on you until you are obedient to what he tells you to do. Amen? Whatever that is, he's going to keep you going. So they had a will to keep working. Even when we don't see results, even when we don't see something happening immediately, keep working, keep going, because God is the one who brings about the results. You ever plant a garden? Put the little seeds in the ground? Do the plants come up full size the next day? No. Do the plants come up full size a week later? No. You have to have faith that that seed is growing, because that's what the seeds do. You have to have faith that the seeds you plant in the lives of people around you, that the work you do studying the word of God, getting to know the word, that that is going to pay off. When it reaches its full height, and you don't have to know when that is. God knows when that is. 
And God will bring that about in such a way to be a blessing to others. It says that when they heard they repaired the wall up to half its height, that's a lot of work. The wall stood to half its original height. If you've ever seen Jerusalem, see that picture at the beginning? That's a heck of a wall. Now, there were still some broken down places, still some gaps. But they had built that wall up. It says, and the gaps were being closed. That's when they became angry. Because the more protected Jerusalem was, the less power they have. The more you know the word of God, the more you practice the word of God, the more you witness, the more you share your testimony, the more you take the opportunity to lead Bible studies and do other things. The stronger you get, the less control Satan has over you. The best place for you to hide from the devil is right in his face. In fact, it says this. So we prayed, we prayed and stationed a guard because of them. This word because of them is actually a phrase. It means against them. Where did they post the guards in Jerusalem? Wherever the enemy stationed their people, they put their people right in front of them. See, most of us don't like confrontation. We don't like to confront people. We don't like to jump in someone's face. I got news for you. I live to do that. I live to be in the fight. It's not always a good characteristic, but there you go. I love that jumping up into a situation and just taking it on head on. I love that. That's exciting to me. It, it gets me going. I love when someone says, I don't believe the Bible. I say, well, come on over here, son. I got six hours to talk to you. What don't, what don't you like? And I will jump into that with both teeth. man. I, just, I love that stuff. We prayed first. God, where do we go? Lord, where do we work? Father, how do we do this so that we are in accordance with your will? Then we stationed a guard opposite their location day and night. Now, notice they didn't go in the daytime and then stay home at night. Or some people say, well, you don't have to go in the daytime because in the daytime they won't try and come through. Yes, they will. The devil will sneak into the house anytime he can. You've got to keep your guard up day and night. Most fights that happen between Christian couples happen when? Saturday night or Sunday morning. Do you know why? To get you out of the house of God. Most fights that happen between Christian couples, and my wife and I were no exception early in our marriage. We were you know, involved in a worship team uh, service for a college ministry on Saturday nights, and we had the, the regular church service on Sunday morning. So we were serving in both places. And lo and behold, right before worship practice on Saturday night, or right before the message on Sunday morning, we would get into it. Until we figured out that was a trap. Satan lays a trap at that opportune moment to get your mind and your eyes off what you're supposed to be doing. Now, that, my thing is this. If, you, if you're going to be upset, do it later. Don't do it during the time of your service. <laughs> do it later. That way it defeats the devil because it, it sucks all the power out of him. It just takes it out of him. It says, in Judea, it was said the strength of the laborers fail since there is so much rubble. There may seem like there's a lot of rubble in your life. You know what I mean? It may seem to you you've got a lot of stuff left over from when you were younger. It may seem to you you've got a lot of stuff left over from that, that, that job you got fired from. You may have a, a lot of stuff left over from that boyfriend you broke up with or those girls that you were stringing along and abusing. Whatever the situation is, whatever the rubble and the trash is in your life, it may seem like that just keeps you from living your life, but it can't. Because all you can do is slowly clean up your life. Slowly get rid of the garbage, get rid of the trash, get rid of the past, get rid of the anger, get rid of the unforgiveness. Let it go. You know, in Texas, that's one word, right? Let it go. It's not let it go, let it go. 
That's a Texas joke. It's okay. Never mind. Here we go. See, I, I just couldn't get through a whole sermon and not be me. Anyways, so it says, we pray station. So, and our enemy said, they won't know or see anything until we are among them and can kill them and can stop the work. Here's a charge I have for everybody that comes on Tuesday nights. I'm going to give you a charge. If you're not here on Tuesday nights, I give you the same charge. It is found in Ezekiel 22, 29 through 31. Write it down. Look it up. This phrase has been misused in the past, but I'm going to reapply it the way God intended it. Ezekiel 22, 29 through 31. You need to write it down. You need to look it up. You need to know it because this is a charge to all people of prayer. To everyone who prays, this is your charge from the Lord. Are you ready for it? Here it comes. The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and the needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And I, God, sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. Excuse me. But I have found none. Wow. I have sought for someone in Israel to stand up, to rebuild, the, this is afterwards, to rebuild the walls, to plug the gaps, and I found no one to do it. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord our God. Interesting. Israel needed someone to step up and pray that God's wrath would be turned away. We need to pray for our church. We need to plug the gaps. We need to stand in the gaps and rebuild the walls so that we become solid and unified, so that we become a people of one purpose, one heart, one mind. And if you are not praying here on Tuesday nights, I beg you, wherever you are, start to pray. And be the person who stands in the gap. In fact, um, I forget which group it was about eight years ago. This was their theme, stand in the gap. But it's not stand in the gap for the lost person. It's stand in the gap for the church. That the church would rise up. That the church would rebuild the walls. That the church would plug the gaps in the walls. And that we would be the mortar and the brick that protects the church from the wrath of God by praying for God's blessing on the church. Amen? Satan can only divide us if he sneaks in unseen, like it says right here. We'll go in there. They won't even see us until we've killed them. There are people who can sneak into a church and say, I'm a believer. But they bring in false doctrine. They bring in false understanding. There was a church in California. Now, parents, you should cringe at this. Young people, don't you dare even think about this or I'll hunt you down, I swear. There was a church in California that had a young woman come in, young woman pastor come in, and she decided that God had changed his mind about sexual purity. And she decided, she decided as a pastor of the church that sex before marriage was okay as long as it was only with one person at a time. Here's my only question. Why didn't they drag her out and hang her? Why didn't they take her, tie her to a stake, and burn her alive as a false prophet? Why? That's right. Because they saw a title, they respected a title instead of respecting the word of God. 
If anyone says anything that is not explicitly written in this word, they need to be rejected and driven out and then hunted down and led to Jesus. It's always about redemption. My thing is this. This is happening in churches all around America. People are giving up on the word of God and they're embracing man-made, man-generated philosophies. You know, and that's what kills me is that we have the word right in front of us. Sometimes the weakest link is inside the church, not outside the church. Sometimes it's not that there's a, a break in the wall. Sometimes there's a break in us. Because we embrace things that are not of the Lord, that are not of God. And that's one of the pastor's greatest responsibilities, is to bring to light the lies that circulate in our culture today, draw attention to it so that we can reject it and go beyond it. Now notice verse 13. So I station people behind the lowest sections of the wall, at the vulnerable spots. Church, here's where you need to pray. Everybody here needs to have two or three families on their prayer list that they pray for every day. Now, I know you pray for me. And thank you, I need it. I know you pray for my beautiful wife, my incredible kid, and I appreciate that. Because, you know, without your prayers and your protection, I'm going to get hammered and killed. But here's the thing. You need my prayers as much as I need yours. Can you amen that one? Because you know it's true. Every single family, every single person in this church, married or not, widowed or single, every one of us needs to be prayed for and lifted up to God. This right here, it was stationed by families. That's not just a biological family. That means tribes or people groups. We need to pray for each other because we are a tribe of believers in the midst of a nation of unbelievers. We need to lift each other up. The point being this, if you stand a man on a military watch at a wall and he's walking out there, he may or may not pay attention. But if you put him out there and his wife and children are back here, you better bet he's going to pay attention because that's his family he's protecting. And we need to see each other as family. And we need to do the work of prayer. We need to do the work of ministry. We need to do the work of sharing for the sake of the ones that we love. And those are the ones who inspire us to do the work. Ask any married man here that wants to stay married. And ask him, why do you work so hard? Bach will tell you, it is because I love my wife and my family. Can you say amen, brother, anytime. I'm building up back there. Okay. Ask any man why he does what he does, why he works second shift, third shift, two jobs, and it will be because of the love of his family, because the family is a gift from God, a gift that we answer for, and a gift that we protect at the risk of our own lives. I mean, that is the only thing I can see worth dying for. My family, my church. And it's worth dying for either one, because they're both family. Amen? All right, so you need to find your challenge. You need to find your challenge. One, you need to understand the enemy's battle plans. Understand the enemy's battle plans. It is to discourage you. It is to weaken you. It's to make you think, Robert, that you can't do it. It's just too big of a job for you. You're right. It is too big of a job for you. But God's doing the work. All you're doing is going along and getting the glory. But you're staying involved in the fight. You know, we start picking out deacons. And council members for this church, don't forget, now next week is 
our finish up to the bylaws meeting on the 30th. That's the wrap up to our bylaws. We'll be done with that. We need to be here. We need to participate and make sure that we have protected the church and its people. Amen. Now on the 31st, which is the Monday after that, some of the ladies have said they want to provide like a little harvest celebration in place of Halloween, a safe place where the kids can come. They want to do it here at the church. They're willing to do it. The ladies are willing to come here and set it up. But this is what we need from you. We need you to tell them, well, specifically tell my wife because she's taking the tally. Yes, I will be there. Yes, I will come with my kids. Because if only one person wants to come, of course, we're not going to spend all the money and go to the, 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 the expense of putting together something for one person. But if you want to come, if you want to have that, we want to make that available to you as a ministry of love. But if you don't need that, if you're not going to be able to come, then we need to know, and we'll just you know, hide at home and take our Nerf guns and shoot the little kids as they run in the streets. You know? No, I'm just kidding. The enemy wants to break the church apart. So the second thing we do, we need to pray for strength and protection. Strength for ourselves, protection for our families, strength for our church, protection for our church, strength for the couples around us, and protection for those families that we know and love. Your prayer life should be filled with names, with faces, with people, with real situations. Prayers are not, Lord, I would love to have a Mercedes Benz. That should not be your prayer. I'm not, nothing wrong with that. If anybody has one, they want to give it away. Okay, there we go. No, just kidding. <laughs> what I'm saying is the first things on our prayer list should be the people that we know and the people that we love and that we care about. Third, we need to reinforce the weak spots. We need to make sure that everybody here is built up and strengthened. If you guys didn't notice, Lenny and Kat are not here today. They have midterms, and they are buried under a mountain of work. So I got a frantic email last night. Can I please let the kids just come and sit in the service? I said, you betcha. I said, you take care of your wife. You take care of your schoolwork, and we'll see you when we see you. Here's the thing. I could demand that he come. I could demand that he be here every time I want him. But that's not love. That would weaken his ministry, not build it up, not make it stronger. The weak spots sometimes is us. Sometimes we are the weak spots in the church because we don't open our eyes to see the needs of those around us. I encourage you this week, go back, get that prayer list, read it, pray. Finally, last one, you need to stay armed with the word at all times. If you are in the word every day of the week, even if it's only for 10 minutes every morning, if you are going through the word systematically, start with John 1.1 and go through the whole book and then go through again. If the word is in your mind, if the word is in your heart, then when those lies come up like that woman preacher said, if those lies come up, you're going to have a dozen places in the word of God that are going to scream at you, this is a lie, don't do this. That's what's important. Stay in the word. If you're in the word, Satan can't lie to you. If he can't lie to you, he can't bushwhack you and take you out. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time and this place. And Father, I just pray that right now you will begin to work in our hearts. Father God, we thank you and we praise you that you are a good God. You are a gracious God. Father God, you have called us from the darkness into the light. And Father God, because you have done that, Lord, we rejoice. And Father, I thank you that you put Joseph in my life yesterday. Wherever he is right now, Lord, wherever he's at, I pray that he is warm. And I pray that someone has graciously blessed him with food. And Father, I pray that he will find his way back to that store and I'll find him again. And when I find him, Lord, I'll be able to find out whether or not he's accepted you as Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray for all the other Josephs in our lives, people at work, 
people at school, people in our social circles, people that we know are not believers and we've never confronted them with their need to be saved. God, may we be moved to do that. And Father God, I pray right now that in every believer's life, you're putting five families. Just five families, Lord, that you're going to put in everybody's life. Five families that they want to pray for that they want to lift up to you. And Father, we want to be the people standing in the gap. We want to be the ones who pray for the peace of the church and pray for the protection of its members. And God, I thank you that you've given us the privilege to be involved in such an amazing task. Lord God, as we close out today, I just pray, Father, if there's anyone here today that is, is feeling that conviction of the Holy Spirit, Father, if anyone here today is uncertain of their salvation or they're not sure about where they're at, I just pray that we would be able to uh, meet them afterwards as we eat, and we will be able to talk and share, and that Jesus will be lifted up. Now, Father God, we pray for the food. We pray for this time of eating and fellowshipping. Lord, bless us this day. And Father, again, we ask you to bless the Albi family. God, bless them as they come together. Bless Dodie as he leads his family. Give him grace and mercy and wisdom. Uh, be with Salvi as she supports him and follows him. Be with the kids as, as they learn to follow their dad, and God, may that family be blessed and become a blessing for you. And Father, as you do that, your name will be glorified and lifted up, and we thank you for this wonderful day in this great place you've given us. And all the people of God said what? Amen. Amen. Okay, there's no, no closing song, so y'all can make a bum's rush for the food.